me ask you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. While you're turning there, uh, before I read the passage, I've just got to uh, share with you what a couple of commentators, several commentators, said about this passage. Uh, If you want to know how my week started uh, in studying the passage and then beginning to look at the commentators... uh, One said, this is one of those passages that sets preachers to pacing in their studies, wringing their hands. What does it mean? How do we preach it? Another said, it is hard to be satisfied with any commentary on this section. It is very difficult to understand. It's always encouraging when you look at a commentary and that's that's how they begin. And then another said, uh, this is one of the more difficult and perhaps one of the more notorious passages in Ecclesiastes. And yet, I am convinced that facing head-on some of the difficult questions that this asks makes this passage so relevant to our lives, and it makes it worthwhile digging into it and trying to figure out what, what is God saying here. It is, uh, it is extremely honest, as all of Scripture is, but, but here we uh, see some of those questions that some people tend to bury. They have them. They hate to say them out loud, but this passage wants to face them head on. As we have been going through uh, Ecclesiastes, I've called this series Life Under the Sun because that's where we live. We live here on this earth. Now, we won't always, and that's the good news, but there is a period of time when we are living under the sun and... God has given us a way to navigate that and to do so with faith. And it is actually in faith. Uh, It is the faith that enables us to navigate uh, this life. So let's read. We will begin with uh, the 15th verse in Ecclesiastes 7. In my vain life, I've seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. 
your heart knows that many times you have yourself cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a a woman among these I have not found. See, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes." Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we do ask that you would apply your word to our hearts we live under the sun, but we need to, to, to see the above-the-sun perspective. And so, Lord, we come to you. Will you help us to be honest with ourselves, honest with you? And give us ears to hear what you have to say, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's try to break this down and begin with just what he is about to tell us is really, in my view, kind of the practical dilemma that we face. Okay, you followed the Casey Anthony trial on TV. You became, with all the coverage, convinced that She was guilty, maybe of abuse, maybe of murder, maybe of covering up a death, any number of things. You're convinced she lied, and she is found innocent. So instead of more prison time, you then hear on the news that she likely will become a multimillionaire because of interviews and books and that type of a thing. You hear all this news, and it's frustrating to you. You're in business. You are doggedly honest because of your Christian faith. You know full well there are times where your honesty costs you more money. You've learned to cope with that. But not only do you see that, you see a competitor 
who you know to be dishonest. And while your business in tough times is struggling, your competitor is thriving. And it's frustrating to see. You're a student. You work hard in school. You studied hard for a particular exam. And the grade that you got, the grade that you earned, becomes even a lower grade because someone broke the curve. And you know that that person that did so well on the exam cheated. It's hard to see. As a kid, there's a bully in your class. Never seems to get caught. And then there's the kid that finally, who has been picked on again and again, and the the bully never gets caught. And one time, that child retaliates, and he gets in trouble. frustrating to have to face. It's difficult. You have a friend who is upright. He lives a life of integrity. He loves his family and he dies suddenly. And you know of another man that same age who abuses himself and those around him, and he lives a long life. A man who you think it it just, he doesn't, humanly speaking, deserve to live, and this other man did. What did he ever do wrong, you may think in your mind? Or, what is on many of our minds today, you see a six-month-old baby diagnosed with leukemia who spends the rest of her days in the hospital fighting it until her days end. I have seen all of these in my life, and you probably have as well. And it's frustrating. We could go on. I could could give you list after list of these things, and you can too. Uh, This might have caused you to have something come to your mind that happened this week or that you've been coping with, and you say, yeah, well, I, I can give you a story that's frustrating, because we, we face those in this fallen world. And so what do we do about it? Well, Solomon had seen these kinds of things as well. His remark, verse 15. In my vain life I have seen everything. Here's how he summarizes 
There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. That's the dilemma right there. How do we handle that? Now, Solomon had been given the gift of wisdom. God had bestowed that upon him. And it's going to have an effect on how he deals with this. And and yet, he continues to give us perspective, which we will ultimately, at the end of the book, I know we're not waiting until the end of the book. Each week we bring some resolution. But but when we get to the end of the book, we'll see the, the ultimate resolution of all of this. But we need to to see how real wisdom helps us cope with these kinds of frustrations that are a part of this life. One way it does is that real wisdom provides balance for us. Now, before we go forward with the passage I read, I I want us to remember a little bit of uh, uh, the context and some of the verses immediately preceding. Back in verse 13... It says this, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Now again, take some explanation. What do you mean, God makes some things crooked? Is that what it's saying? It's not what it's saying. But there are things from our perspective, from our eyes, our finite mind, There are things, let's face it, in this life where we say, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It looks crooked. And and we say, God's sovereign, okay, he must have made it crooked. But what's our tendency? I'll make it straight. (laughs) You know, I'll fix that. And then that's where the frustration comes in. Because we find that, as I say so often, control is an illusion. We think we are in control. And then there are those times in our life where, where we absolutely can see, oh, wait a minute, I'm not in control of this. I can't seem to do anything about this. We want to overrule God's plan. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Solomon is declaring, and we dealt with this a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, that God is sovereign. What I said a few weeks ago is, He is God and we are not. He is sovereign and we are not. Now, that doesn't answer every question, but it's at least a starting place. And it's helpful to begin there. We looked at verse 15, moving on to verse 16. By the way, this is that verse that some of you have searched for all of your life. (laughs) Verse 16. Be not overly righteous. And do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Now, 
I do not suggest that you make this a life verse. <laughs> Next time, you know, we go around and say, what's your favorite verse? I don't want to hear a bunch of you saying, you know, I love Ecclesiastes uh, 7, uh, 16. Be not overly righteous. Because if you choose that verse, you're choosing it for a wrong reason. God is never against righteousness. He is never against piety in our life. He is never against obedience. But he is always against a mere outward pretense of it. Pretending that I am righteous. Making a show to people that I am righteous, trying to impress others with the externals, implying how much one prays or gives or flaunting a position in the church. One commentator calls that religion gone to seed. That's a good phrase. Look at the next verse. Verse 17, Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand for the one who fears God will come out from both of them. In other words, from one extreme or the other, this mere outward or not seeking true piety. Charles Spurgeon had uh, some students who, uh, his church was famous for a a prayer time that uh, they would have during and before and during and after services. And uh, he had students that he worked with. Well, at at one time, uh, some students walked out of this prayer time. And one of the students said to Spurgeon, See how our faces glow, like Moses coming down from the mountain when he had been with God. Spurgeon said to him, Moses didn't know his face was glowing. (laughs) Isn't that our tendency, though? Let me tell you how much I've been praying. And that's that's what he is opposed to here. We need to know that no one is really impressed by one who is super spiritual outwardly. Well, someone may be impressed, but they ought not to be. We have the true stuff. We don't have to point it out to others. It becomes obvious that there's something different in your life. And that can cause one to desire what it is in your life. But you don't have to tell everyone or flaunt it. Wisdom also not only provides for that kind of a balance, but for protection. Look at verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Now, what kinds of things can we be protected against? Look what Solomon's wisdom showed him. Verse 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Now, if you're going to believe that, if you're going to believe what the Scripture says here, then that will help you deal with 
your perfectionism if you're a perfectionist. By the way, if you're a perfectionist, you don't want to hear this because you think all the rest of us should be perfectionists too, just like you. But I saw a definition of perfectionism this week. A perfectionist is one who takes great pains and gives them to others. I heard some amens, isn't it? Well, a perfectionist needs things just so. A place for everything, everything in its place. Now look, you can do that with your desk, with maybe with your car, if you're the only one that uses it. Maybe with your house, if your family is willing to tiptoe around you. But that's not the reality with life. There are going to be those things that you just simply can't have in in its place. And it's going to frustrate you if you don't come to grips with what the Scripture is saying. There is wisdom in this. When divine tensions, like a loving God and a fallen world, can't easily be controlled or resolved. You can't rely on your perfectionism. It's got to be a matter of faith. That's where wisdom comes in. And then verse 21, 22, wisdom protects us from our natural gullibility. Our natural gullibility. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. You hear what he's saying? Don't believe everything you hear. If you do, you'll hear things you wish you hadn't. Let me give you several areas where, it's my view, Christians tend to fall in this gullibility thing. One is, Gullibility toward preachers. Now look, just because you hear something said, even from this pulpit, you better be like the Bereans who checked out the Apostle Paul. I never mind. I never mind. When someone asks me about something that I say, I'm encouraged by that if they bring me the word of God and they say, how does this fit? That's a good thing. Don't be gullible here or anywhere else. Sometimes, quite frankly, because you know now there are podcasts and there you know radio and TV between all that, sometimes I hear about some of the preachers that some of our folks listen to, and I, I think you're not listening like a Berean or you wouldn't be listening to that person. You're not comparing what they say. They may be great communicators. There's a lot of of wonderful communicators out there. But you're you're not taking the Scripture in one hand and listening to what they're saying, or you wouldn't be listening to that person. Another area I think of we tend to be gullible sometimes is 
believers is in the area of politics. Too often in the past, Christians have been used by one party or another. God doesn't have a political party. By the way, I think uh, a lot of Christians are also gullible in the sense that they get overly worried by watching or listening to their favorite political commentary and news on TV. You can be gullible that way too, falling into the trap. But oh no, <laughs> you know, you've got to remind yourself, look, who's in control? Ultimately. And then I, I threw another area of gullibility in there, and that's, that's petitions. <laughs> now, uh, that we sometimes, because we're passionate about things, can get caught up into... You know, there's a wonderful thing called Snopes.com. <laughs> and uh, before uh, the Internet, we didn't have that where you could check out to see if something was legitimate. Back in 1980, I was given a petition. It was the first church I was serving. I was an assistant pastor. And somebody brought in this petition, and uh, it was uh, FCC 2493. Now, the reason I say that is, is uh, the, what it was saying was that Madeleine Murray O'Hare, who was around at that time, a famous atheist, is going to get all uh, Christian broadcasting off of TV and radio. We need to sign this petition. If we don't sign this petition, then the atheists will win. Now, that's kind of scary. And everybody knew Madeleine Murray O'Hare and so on. So I, I called the FCC, <laughs> and I asked them about Petition 2493. You know what they said? We are so glad you called. We have got a whole room full of Petitions 2493, and there is no such thing. <laughs> and we keep getting them. Uh, now, Look, here's the perspective on that. I appreciate that Christians are concerned and wanting to be involved. I'm not opposed to that. But this person said to me, I wish more people would see if it's true before they sign things and then send them off to us. And you know what? That can cause Christians to become the butt of jokes too. So there are ways to check those things. And we ought not to do that. You know superstitions in the internet fall into that as well. I have to share this with you. Um, and look, I don't ever mind it when you send me things and wonderful things. I, I appreciate that. I'm not saying don't send these things to me, but I do want to, um, you know, caution you about getting caught up into the superstition of some of these things about forwarding them. Obviously, I don't need to even say anything. <laughs> Here's the thing. And uh, I actually got one this week, and, but the person wisely said, I don't agree with the end, but it's got a good message. And, and it really did. It was a very nice thing that was sent to me. But at the end, it said this. Forward this to at least five people and your life will improve. 
This was on there. One to four people, your life will improve slightly. <laughs> five to nine, your life will improve to your liking. Nine to 14, you will have at least five surprises in the next three weeks. Fifteen and above, your life will improve drastically and everything you ever dreamed of will begin to take shape. <laughs> now, I wanted to tell you about that before you receive it from me this afternoon. So. Now, look, I know it sounds silly when we do it this way, but I'm just cautioning. You know, Christians ought not to get caught up into that kind of thing. I'm not saying don't ever forward anything, but don't believe that, that last part. And by the way, uh, in terms of superstition, some of you who were laughing so hard will make a statement and then say, knock on wood. <laughs> that's, that's enough. Superstition denies God's sovereignty. That's all there is to it. Superstition denies that God is the one in control. Wisdom finally helps us know our limits. Verse 23, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it? You see, wisdom protects us from a self-sufficient attitude. This may be one of the wisest things that Solomon actually said. Because he knew wisdom. But he knew that real wisdom doesn't come from within. But it comes from somewhere else. When God made him king, Solomon asked for discernment and wisdom. And he learned up front that real wisdom had to come from outside of himself. Here's the problem. Knowing our lack of wisdom, lack of righteousness, and our own sin, without knowing God, will lead to despair. In other words, if it doesn't do any good to say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not righteous. Yeah, I, I sin. Everybody does. Yeah, there's times I'm, I'm not all that wise. Well, if you think about that long enough and you don't have the above-the-sun perspective in Christ, that understanding will lead to despair. But there is hope. And that's the above-the-sun application. Real wisdom leads us to the source of wisdom, and that is the only wise God. That's what it's got to lead to. So ultimately, God gives us wisdom, and that wisdom says, I have a need outside of myself because I can see. God has enlightened me. I can see that I'm not righteous like I need to be to have a relationship with him. And it's not just about coping with this life, but that is a part of it. It's about eternity in Christ. For those of you visiting our church, we've had to cope 
with these big questions recently. As yesterday here in this sanctuary, we had a, a service for a one-year-old baby who died of leukemia that we had prayed that she would be healed. And she was buried yesterday. For the believer, those are hard questions. For the one without God, those questions are impossible. There is no answer. There is no hope without knowing the ultimate hope in Christ. The above-the-sun perspective, 1 Corinthians 1.30. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness. There it is, see it? That which we're lacking. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness and he's perfect in those. And sanctification and redemption. He is our all in all. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's the only place for hope. It's in Christ. In Christ alone. Let's bow together. Lord, we do ask that uh, you, the only wise God, would grant us wisdom by way of enlightenment, enlighten our hearts to know our ultimate need for you. It's not just about balance in our life. It's not just about doing things that make sense. It's about seeing our ultimate need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll only see that as you grant it, we pray in Jesus' name.